Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Anna Raptus. Anna is the founder and CEO of Amplifica Capital. Amplifica Capital is the first female-focused VC firm in Mexico. They make investments that have a positive impact on the lives of women to increase their opportunities and participation in the economy. Anna is an investor with over 25 years of experience. Her guiding principle is invest in the change you want to see. Anna's experience includes investing across sectors and geographies in international equities, funds, energy, real estate, and as an angel investor and limited partner in venture capital funds in Mexico and in the United States. She was recognized as one of the top female investors by the Latin American Venture Capital Association. Now, in this podcast interview, we talk about the startup ecosystem in LATAM. We talk about how the VC landscape is changing due to geopolitics, investing in female founders, emerging female fund managers and investing in startups through an ESG lens. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please note that this podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for the invitation, Jan. I'm so happy to be here with you. Before we get into the questions, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically your journey to where you are today? And how did you start on your journey to becoming an investor? Well, now you're making me feel really old because it's been <laughs> quite a long time. I grew up in a household where it was my family business and my paternal grandparents were immigrants from Greece to Australia. So they were entrepreneurs by necessity. And I think the fact that I grew up in a household like that had a huge impact on me. I grew up in Australia and my dad's family had a Greek origin. My mum's family had a Scottish origin. So you imagine that's a very interesting mix. And we were always talking about business at home because my dad's work kind of never stopped and clients would come to the house for dinner and that kind of thing. So for me, it was really normal to speak about and learning about business. And the other thing that I think was interesting is that I grew up in a household where we were three girls. So there was never any gender bias in our household. So I saw always women as business people, women as investors. I started investing in my early 20s. I had a friend who was a stockbroker and I had a very little bit amount of money. I also had one of my friend's fathers was a stockbroker and I'd talk to him about like what kind of stocks to buy. So my journey as an investor was something that was very natural. I saw that going on around me and I started doing that. And then as life went on, I invested in different kind of products from equities to bonds to real estate and ending up eventually in venture capital. I love the fact that you started so early. Now, can you outline the investment opportunity of investing in female founders in Latin America? One of the reasons why it's such an amazing space is it's a very under-invested space. And I'm sure that's something that a lot of people on the call understand the concept of you know, arbitrage. You know, to the extent that you have 
and opportunity that's underinvested, it's likely to outperform. So that's one area of it. Uh, the other area is that we've seen studies that have been done by different consulting groups from McKinsey to BCG, Oliver Wyman, Corn Ferry, all talk about the business case of investing in women, where we see that companies that are led by women, meaning there are women in the leadership team, in the senior leadership team, generate better results. And this has been consistently documented, better financial returns, better risk management, 20% higher innovation. And so we look to see that gender diverse teams generate better financial results. And then the third area of opportunity is that women make markets. And what do I mean by that? Well, even though we see few women involved in long-term financial decision in terms of investing, it's women in the household who make 80% of the consumption decisions. So when we're looking at consumer behavior and what drives profitability in companies, it's the women. So that's the key areas that we see as investing as women as an important investment opportunity, that they're underinvested, that they outperform, and that women drive markets. How would you describe the startup ecosystem in LATAM? How does it differ to the rest of the world? And what are some of the similarities, would you say? Well, one of the difference is the level of penetration in terms of the percentage of GDP that VC represents in Latin America. And it's much lower in Latin America than we have in the rest of the world, you know, more developed markets. And in the US, you know, it's over 10%. In Asian markets, it's around 5%. And in Latam, it's around 1%. So that means that there's a huge amount of space still for further investment and great investment opportunities. The markets are less mature, which also means that there's a lot more opportunities. Valuations have tended to be lower. And what we're seeing at the moment are more and more international VC funds coming to Latin America, starting to get interested. And the reason for that is because we've recently had some IPOs and also you're seeing more exits, greater valuations. And so that is attracting more and more capital and pushing up some of those valuations. So it's a great opportunity. And the other thing that I think would differentiate Latin America from the US is that the entrepreneurs in this space are really tending when they start out to the needs that they see in local markets. That doesn't mean that they're not scalable and can't expand to the rest of the world but they are really improving lives with the solutions that they are providing. They're providing greater access to communication, greater access to healthcare, greater access to education and just connectivity in general. When we talk about the digital transformation, we've really seen that particularly during this COVID period where there was perhaps before a low level of digital connectivity. The COVID situation really accelerated consumers coming online and finding solutions that were easy to access when you couldn't go to the store anymore because they were all closed during the COVID period. 
Mm, really interesting. We talked about this just before we started recording, the fact that geopolitically the world has changed so much in just two weeks or so. I'm curious to know your thoughts on how this has impacted the VC landscape. And I'm thinking specifically about Russia invading Ukraine. Do you expect it to change? And if so, how will it, do you think? What's interesting to see is the profound impact that that's had all over the world. Now, here in Mexico, I have friends who have invested in companies which have teams of 100 people in Ukraine, and they've had to work out how they can get those people out into safety. One of my good friends here is Australian-Ukrainian, and he's going over to Ukraine and in a couple of weeks because he's a photographer in crisis situation. So what you see is that a war that is you know, thousands of kilometres from us is impacting us here, people's lives, and you know the, the terrible impact that it's having on the lives of the people in Ukraine. In financial markets, we see this increasing volatility, increasing uncertainty, flights to safety. We're seeing the impact in Australia and all the commodity prices, the local currency. And I think as the COVID pandemic got us all to question our way of life and the way we interact and what we're investing in, so is this situation today with Russia and, and Ukraine getting us to question many things about the way the world operates. And in terms of VC, what are we investing in? What's the impact of what we're investing in? What are the long-term consequences of what we're, we're investing in? We're seeing technological applications that have been developed in Mexico being used. There's a startup called Bridgeify that uses technology that doesn't need to have a cellular network to communicate. So it's it's having a profound impact. And, you know, this humanitarian impact that it's having is just catastrophic and really sad to see. It is. It is. And I think what's been really interesting to watch is because of technology, because of social media, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It has brought the war to your doorstep, as it were. And whether you're a VC investor or not, I think it does make everyone realize just how connected we are. And everything has an impact. Everything is connected. The world is extremely connected now, more than ever, and it will continue to be even more so, I think. Undoubtedly so. Now, you're the founder and managing partner of Amplifica, based in Mexico. Can you tell us about the fund in a little bit more detail? Please do share the investment thesis. And how would you describe your journey to date? I was investing here in Mexico directly in companies that I saw solving important problems in Mexico and Latin America. And I was motivated to do that because I'm a very much a purpose-driven kind of person. And as I was doing this, someone said to me, Anna, why don't you launch your own fund? You seem to really enjoy being in this space. And I said, well, I'm not really sure why I'd do that. I can't really see what I could bring that would be different to the table. You know, at that stage, I wasn't really that gender aware in my perspective. And then I spent some time in the US and I met some amazing women all talking about the importance of women investing, hearing the voice and the vision of women incorporating that into VC 
And I was really astounded by everything that I heard and it was a wake-up call and a call to action to me because it wasn't something that I was necessarily very aware about because I'd always been an investor. I wasn't so aware about the impediments for women as investors. And, you know, the barriers that we see are systemic, they're cultural, they're social, and around 90% of decisions in investing, whether it be VC or otherwise, are made by men. And the consequences of that are, is that we don't see the voice and vision of women incorporated in investment decision-making. Around 90% of capital goes to all-male founded teams. And so you don't see as much investment in things that are important to women. Women tend to prefer to invest values aligned. They prefer to invest with purpose, with an ESG focus. You see that healthcare of women is underinvested. So there's huge opportunities here. And when I saw this and when I heard from all of these women in the United States developing their own funds and saw that that was not happening in Mexico, it was like, okay, Anna, now it's your turn. This is what you have to do. So I launched Amplifica Capital. And what we are doing is we are appealing directly to women to encourage women to see themselves as investors and invest in the kind of companies that we want to see. And by that, what I mean is that if we want to see more women as CEOs, more women on boards, more companies providing goods and services that women want, we need to invest in those companies. So that is really the whole premise behind Amplifica Capital is helping women to use their economic power to drive change and generate great returns. Over 70% of our investors are women. And when we invest, we invest with a gender lens. So we look at what is the impact on women of this investment. We look to see women leaders. and We look to see goods and services that improve the lives of women. So today we have made seven investments and all of those companies have women founders or co-founders. That's not a necessary nor sufficient condition for us to invest, but it's something that our investors really like to see, women leaders. I believe strongly that if we want to see more capital flowing to female entrepreneurs, then we need to see more women as investors. And I mentioned that there are significant social and cultural barriers against women investing, but women do have economic power. And what we're trying to do here is to invite women to use that power. One of the things that I find a little ironic is that in the 21st century, as women, we battled for our political rights, you know, the right to vote and exercise our political power. And that has resulted in significant improvements for women. However, in the 21st century, we are still delegating our economic power to men, whether that be our spouses, our sons, our fathers, or a male financial advisor. So what we really want to see is we want to see women taking back their power and using it to make positive change.
I couldn't agree more, Anna. Really, really important. I'm curious about your strategy for raising investment. How important has your network been in this process? And how big is your fund? How much are you looking to raise? I'm really curious about some of the specifics, including what sectors, types of startups you're focusing on and how you're going to be accessing deal flow. In terms of who we're raising from, so the VC fund is typically a private offering and that's you know quite heavily regulated. So networks are very, very important. We reach out to people in our close and extended networks and then hope that they'll be ambassadors for us and help us reach further. Key for us is to find people who have an affinity for what we're building. There are a lot of people who are not interested at all in women or don't see the opportunity that we see in terms of driving positive change and generating returns. So it's been able to identify those people so that we can invite the right people to come to the table. So that takes a lot of time and a lot of calls and a lot of outreach. We are raising $10 million for this fund. We're around halfway through at the moment. And over 70% of our investors are women. Around 70% of our investors are from Mexico, 10% from Europe, 10% from the US, and 10% from other parts of Latin America. We're investing in very early stage companies. That is the majority of our focus. We have some that are a little more mature, but we are generally investing in the pre-seed through to series A space. The kind of companies that we're investing in, we're always looking that they have some kind of purpose. And what I mean by that is why is the entrepreneur developing this solution? What is the problem that they're trying to solve? How is this going to have a positive impact on the community? Our first filter is the social impact in terms of gender. But we are looking to invest in companies that are using technology so that they can scale. They are approaching the challenge that they face in a differentiated way. That's important so that they can be successful, be unique, and actually make money for our investors. To date, we have made three investments in the agricultural space, two in the fintech space, one in education, and one in mobility. So we're broadly sector agnostic, but we always look to see that the investments we make have a net positive impact. We use something called the impact management project to assess the impact that our investments have. Oh, I've not heard of that before. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? The impact management project is a framework that looks at different parameters in terms of who, how, what is impacted and what the risk is. So we look at the different aspects within an investment to come out of the measurement of what the impact is and who it's impacting. So I'll give you an example. Some industries that are quite polluting, So if you're going to invest in something like that, you want to see what's behind the scenes, how's the supply chain managed, 
And is there any mitigants against the potential negative impact? I'll give you an example. One is the beauty industry. We've looked at some investments in that space, but haven't been able to get comfortable with the particular investment opportunities that we looked at. Other is, you know, the clothing industry is well known um, to be quite you know, polluting. So we're always very careful. I mean, I'm not saying that we won't invest in fashion. I'm not saying we won't invest in beauty, but we're quite careful when we evaluate any investment opportunity. We want to be net positive. When we're analyzing the companies, you look at all the different aspects and we like to go beyond job creation because we think that most enterprises at a minimum, they're going to create jobs. So we like to see something that goes beyond that in terms of what they're trying to achieve. And just to add to that, we know that women are very interested in sustainability, in responsible investing and making sure that their investing decisions align with their values. So it absolutely makes sense that if the majority of your investors, your LPs are women, that you also invest in companies for positive impact, as you say. And not only is that the right thing to do, and it builds a better world, and obviously you generate good returns, it aligns really with the individuals who are backing your fund. That's exactly right. And I think that coming back to the COVID pandemic, what it really showed was that this investment thesis makes sense. Mm. Because what we saw during that period is that it's the companies that were resilient, the companies that produce things that people really need are the companies that succeeded, mm. right? So I am very much pro returns and impact. I don't see that as a trade-off. I see that they need to go together for something that's to be sustainable in the long term. It needs to produce market rate returns. So that's what we're looking for here. We don't see it as one or the other. We see them as very much going together. Yes, and, and I'm glad to say that the narrative is slowly changing, isn't it? traditional investors are coming around to understanding that just because you care about impact, you want your investment to have a positive impact on the world, doesn't mean that you're trading off or sacrificing returns. I'm curious about some of your conversations with investors. Uh, you've obviously been talking to lots of women who are interested and who have become LPs and men as well. I wonder whether you could share some of the conversations that you're comfortable with sharing, some of the feedback that you've had from women, perhaps women who've never invested before, then were convinced that actually this might be something that they'd like to do. And similarly, men who might have not considered ever to invest in a gender lens fund, if you like, changed their minds and suddenly realized how good an investment this is. Yeah, look, there's definitely some people that I'm still working on. And it's interesting because I really believe that increasing the economic capacity opportunities for women is a strategy of economic development that can improve the lives of everyone. If you look at Mexico, Mexico was ranked last year 122 out of 156 countries in terms of economic opportunity and participation of women. So that's almost the worst in Latin America. The only one who's behind us is Guatemala. McKinsey and others have done studies to show that the significant increase in GDP we could have if we unleash 
the power of women in the economy. So some people that I speak to are struck by that and just can't believe that. They've never thought about that. They've never thought about the fact that there are barriers to women performing at their potential in the workplace mm. would actually have a real impact on the economy. And, and I guess for people like you and me, we see that, well, that's obvious. Yeah. A lot of you have never even thought about that. So a lot of what I'm doing is educational. Um, I share different books and different reports. And then there are other women that I speak to who they get it 100% because they have been professionals. They have faced different challenges in their career. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily investors. You know, some of them are CEOs of large companies and they're not involved in, in their personal investment decision. So that for me is very rewarding when I can help women see that by being involved in the investment decision-making process and directing actively where they want their money to go is very important, that intentionality. So that is very rewarding for me. And the other group of investors that I've seen has been men with daughters, men who have daughters in their 20s generally, and they want to have some kind of experience with their daughters as young women and investors and they've decided to invest in the fund together and that for me is also very rewarding to see that i'm able to help them in that particular you know educational experience and something that they can do together but i also have a lot of conversations with people who really don't understand what i'm doing and aren't interested in it at all and you know when you have a conversation like that it's good to identify it quickly and move on because yeah. there are people who have an affinity for what i'm doing understand it and they are the easiest people to work with because i'm not in the business of trying to convince anyone right so people understand what the opportunity is here and want to participate they're my target investors I think that's really important. Yes, you can educate to a point, but ultimately the opportunity is there. And sometimes it's just too early for some investors. They haven't wrapped their heads around what exactly this is and why this makes so much sense. So it's better to focus on, as you say, investors who are already there mentally, they're kind of on that same wavelength. And you can proceed to raising that money. I'm curious, Anna, in your vision in terms of what does success ultimately look like for you and the fund? What point will you think, yes, this has gone really well. This is exactly what I wanted to see happen with the fund. What I'm trying to create is systemic change. I mean, that this is a movement, not a monument. It's about developing, creating more women as investors and increasing the participation of women in venture capital, both as investors and entrepreneurs. So I think that, you know, for me, success will be when I get to fund three or four and I've been able to help other younger women come in and be general partners in the fund to have a fund that is larger and can actually support the development of more women as leaders in the fund. So it's, it's not just about Anna, it's about the next generation of female investors and entrepreneurs. 
I'm curious about the number of emerging fund managers out there and how connected you all are, because I love seeing just how many more women are starting their own funds. And it's even more encouraging to see how these women are connected to each other. How supportive is that network? How important is that as well as you're launching your fund and and raising more money? It's very, very important. So I am what is known as a solo GP. I am the only general partner in my fund which is not at all common to see in Mexico. I don't know anyone else in the same situation here. So it's very, very important for me and very helpful to have networks in other parts of the world. I'm part of a group called Global Transact, which is a group of over 200 emerging female fund managers, funds of different sizes from sub 5 million to over 100 million. That community, we share best practices, we share experiences, we share victories and failure. And yeah, it's been extremely important to me because as I often say in the VC space, you can't be what you can't see. So to the extent that we don't see other women as investors and entrepreneurs, it makes it really challenging to bring new ones in. And the same for me as an emerging manager. Like Mm. I don't see people who look like me in Mexico. So the fact that I've got this international network of female emerging fund managers, it gives me more courage and stamina every day to keep building. That's fantastic. And of course, you have women who are at different stages raising funds of different sizes. And so as you say, you can always look to somebody who's done this before. And there's so much learning from that. And it's just great that women can come together and support each other and champion each other in building these funds. I think that's that's phenomenal. It's been an amazing network. And also there's cross investing, you know, co-investing both on deals and funds. So it's not just talk, it's a lot of action. And that's very important, particularly in, when we're talking about women. There are a lot of conferences out there and which are very important. But for me, what's even more important is you know, turning words into action. And this is what we're seeing by women putting their money where their mouth is, investing in the change that they want to see in the world, investing in funds of other women, investing in companies developed by other women. Through this network, you can identify co-investors, you can share deal flows. There's a lot of benefit really from working together. Yes, exactly. Do you have a specific strategy or approach for engaging female investors, and by that I mean LPs, into your fund. So over and above, I guess, the network that you have through the community that you've just talked about, Global Transact, how else are you approaching your female LPs? Yeah, that's a great question. It's trying to understand, do the women that I approach have any exposure or have they demonstrated any interest in participating in venture capital. So I can understand if they understand the asset class, right? So understanding the profile of the women that I approach is very important. And then exposure to technology and the 
potential interest in being an investor. But I'm out there talking to a lot of people and not everyone, you know, fits the same profile and sometimes to get real surprises about who was interested in what I'm building here. But I have found that there are a lot of women who are frustrated with the financial products that they have been offered. And I think it's quite well known that the financial industry has a women problem so much that most of the financial advisors are men and aren't used to speaking to women. So a lot of the women I speak to are quite excited to have a different kind of opportunity and something that is really designed for women. So that in itself opens a lot of doors. I was specifically thinking there about the women who are inheriting at the moment. We know that there's a massive transfer of wealth to women in this decade. And that is in addition to women working and earning good money. I'm curious about how we engage some of these women who obviously have access to capital, but perhaps are not surrounded by friends or colleagues who are connected to the startup ecosystem. But if they were, they'd very much engage? I think a lot of it is making it accessible. A lot of it is, as we discussed before, you know, financial education, seeing other people that they can relate to doing this and, you know, engaging in this kind of investment opportunity, understanding how to structure a portfolio. That's very important to understand what role this kind of asset class can take when you're thinking about terms of you know equities bonds real estate a lot of women feel very comfortable with real estate and they haven't explored outside into trying what it's like to invest in other things and social media is increasing the visibility of different investment options you see more and more people dipping their toe into crypto and nfts other alternative assets and to the extent that opens people's ideas and particularly younger women, they think that's, you know, really, really helpful that you can see that they're all different ways to do things and there's not a one size fits all approach. You mentioned in terms of women inheriting, that's something that is, you know, we're definitely seeing and we're definitely seeing that younger women want to take a more active role in directing their money to be invested in line with their values and impact that they want to achieve. And that's a very positive thing. Yeah, that is a very positive thing. And, and that's music to my ears. If you were to share feedback to the VC industry in general, so based on your experience, how do you think the VC industry needs to change? We need to see a lot more diversity and we need to see established fund managers supporting emerging fund managers. So the established fund managers from a certain demographic generally very much lacking diversity and the emerging fund managers, we see a lot of women, we see a lot of people of colour, we see a lot of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and that is all really, really important. And for those emerging managers to succeed, 
you need to be able to scale and to be able to build funds. So to the extent we can see established managers mentoring, supporting and investing in emerging managers, I think that that is critical because, you know, I definitely believe in abundance. It's not like, you know, there's a small pie and we have to share it between a few people. The pie is getting bigger and bigger every day by bringing in new investors, diverse investors that identify with these diverse emerging managers. So that is really, really important to have a healthy, dynamic, growing, abundant VC industry. There's a huge amount of work to be done. And I think it's a very challenging situation because we're really kind of playing around the edges in terms of driving change. I really believe there's a huge need for a lot more positive change and diversity in the industry. Absolutely. Now, and I've come to my last question, and I want to say thank you for sharing everything you have today. I'd like you to consider this. If you were to look out 20 to 30 years from now and women invest in startups and female-led innovation, what does the world look like? So we're going to see more and more successful, hyper-successful female founded companies. Now, when people think about innovation and success in the industry today in 2022, the names of men jump to people's minds. In 20, 30 years times, that will be changed. The next Jeff Bezos is going to be a woman, right? And the next Elon Musk. So we're going to see change, you know, driven by women. And I hope that in 20 years time, you won't need gender lens focused funds because it will be just so evident and so obvious that everyone is looking to drive returns and so we will have a lot more participation of diverse leaders in all senses of the word yeah very well said anna thank you if listeners want to find you if they want to connect with you how can they do that so I am most active on Twitter and also somewhat active on LinkedIn uh, and also through our website, it's www.amplifica.capital. I um, would love to have anyone interested reaching out to us. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here today. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Jana. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.